It's Muppeturgy with an appropriately pedestrian episode about the surprisingly foot-forward Madeline Kahn episode of The Muppet Show with our very own special guest star, James Jackson Jr. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. I'm David Levy. I'm so glad you're here with us today. Along with me are... Michaela Richardson. Christy Bauer. Adam Grossworth. And our very special guest star, James Jackson. Hey, James. Hello. How are you? I'm great, thanks. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for asking me. I'm, I'm, this is exciting to me because I uh, kind of love the Muppets. And I, I don't know anyone that does. So this is like, I'm excited to just oh, be in wow. a virtual space with other, well, nerds like me. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to get back to that in a second. First, we're going to tell the people who you are. James Jackson Jr. won an Obie Award for his work in the Pulitzer Prize winning musical A Strange Loop by Michael R. Jackson at Playwrights Horizons. For the past 20 years, the occasionally self-proclaimed Prime Minister of Cabaret and native of Boston, has entertained audiences across the country from New York City's Joe's Pub, Green Room 42, Drom, and 54 Below, to Boston's Club Oberon at the American Repertory Theater, as well as the Lyric Theater in Los Angeles. His devastatingly funny Shady Sings the Blues and his work with the cabaret soul duo The Black Ups have been New York City staples for many years. For much of this summer, his show Mixtape was a huge hit at Provincetown's post office cabaret in Timpan Alley. In New York, James spent several years as a featured singer with the Radio City Christmas Spectacular. He was in the national tour of Andrew Lloyd Webber's Whistle Down the Wind, and his regional credits include Dream Girls, Henri Gobbler, The Wild Party, and a rather unfortunate stop in Branson, Missouri, working for a team of very demanding Brits while playing a talking point set a tree. He's proudly been blocked by both Kirstie Alley and Taylor Dane. You can find him on the internet at www.thejamesjacksonjr.com and at jjacksonjr. And of course, those links will be in our show notes. So James, tell us a little bit about your history with the Muppets. Uh, it's, I think it was my mother's fault, actually. So like one of my very first memories, there was a movie theater in, I grew up in a town called Randolph, Massachusetts, which I know you know of. It, there was a movie theater in Stoughton, Massachusetts, the next town over. And it was like one of these old- Where I like, grew up. In, you grew up in Stoughton? Yep. I didn't know that. I knew it was like near me, but I didn't know it was Stoughton. So there's the movie theater in the center of downtown Stoughton that had like a balcony section. And I remember vividly my mother taking me to see, I think it was the Muppet movie first. But I remember her smoking in the movie theater because <laughs> it was 1970-something. And so I'm just like, I just have these vivid memories of a Miss Piggy in my face and my mother smoking a Salem ultralight next to me. And it was just instant love for all things Muppets and Salem ultralights. But then I gave those up and I kept the Muppets. So that's uh, my first memories involve the Muppets and like Fozzie Bear telling terrible jokes and things like that. And just like really identifying with Miss Piggy and Gonzo and just like getting stuck in Muppet world. Wonderful. Well, we're glad to have you here in Muppet World with us today. <laughs> Thank you. I'm uh, very excited. Before we get into that, I'm going to pass it to Adam, who's going to give us a little context for where we are this week. So this is season two, episode nine. It was made in late July of 1977. It aired in New York, uh, October 3rd, 1977, and uh, actually the same week in the UK. And it was number three in the air order. Following this on TV in New York on CBS was Elvis in Concert. The New York Times TV listings makes a point twice of explaining that this Elvis concert was taped earlier this summer because, of course, Elvis had died earlier this summer. 
seem, seemed or obvious, but <laughs> exactly. I don't think that had started yet. So it was like two months after his death. What anyway, was what started it? Yeah, they took pains to make it clear that this was uh, <laughs> this concert was filmed before he died. Um, our friends the San Pedro Beach Bums are on the air, and the NBC movie at 8 o'clock is Murder in Peyton Place, which I only noticed because the description in the Times was, quote, as it says, period, based on the old TV series, end quote. <laughs> so someone getting a little oh. sassy at the Times. On the front page of the Times, a nightmare-inducing picture of a bunch of rabbit costumes from the macy's thanksgiving day parade for some reason i don't know why this is front page news i don't know why there are rabbits in the thanksgiving parade that feels like an easter thing but i don't want any more shit for the clown gifts to introduce our guest star that's what i'm here to do so it really makes me happy to introduce to you so it's funny i didn't mention although you probably picked up that james and i have known each other since we were we children and the guest star today, Madeline Kahn, also has her roots in Boston, although yeah. she moved away when she was two. However, that happened because her parents divorced. Her father stuck around in Boston, had another family, and I also grew up with uh, the children of her half-sister. So it's just like a big old homecoming episode today. Anyway, Madeline Kahn Actress, singer, comedian, star of stage and screen. After her family left Boston, she grew up in New York. And after graduating from Hofstra, she hit the boards and began auditioning for musical comedies on the New York stage. She got her equity card in the chorus of a city center revival of Kiss Me Kate. But her big break came in Letters Silman's New Faces of 1968. After some additional stage work, including Promenade Off-Broadway and 2x2 On-Broadway, she made her feature film debut in Peter Bogdanovich's 1972 screwball comedy What's Up, Doc?, playing second banana to Barbara Streisand. The following year, she appeared in Bogdanovich's Paper Moon and earned her first Academy Award nomination. The year after that, she began her long association with Mel Brooks, appearing in both Blazing Saddles and Young Frankenstein, both in 1974. For Blazing Saddles, she would once again be nominated for the Best Supporting Actress Oscar. She would go on to star in two more Mel Brooks films, High Anxiety and History of the World Part One, plus one more for Bogdanovich, the deeply unfortunate Cole Porter jukebox musical at Long Last Love. She continued to work on stage throughout her career, winning a Drama Desk Award and a Tony nomination in 1974 for In the Boom Boom Room, and another Tony nomination for On the 20th Century in 1978, and yet another for the revival of Born Yesterday in 1989. She would eventually win the Tony for her performance in Wendy Wasserstein's The Sisters Rosenzweig in 1993. She never stopped making films either, most notably, of course, Clue in 1985. She also lent her voice to My Little Pony the movie, An American Tale, and A Bug's Life. And of course, she has a very memorable cameo in The Muppet Movie. Although Kermit introduces her as a star of film and television, she really hadn't done much TV at the time she was on The Muppet Show. The following year, she would record a number of segments for Sesame Street, and then she had a failed sitcom called Old Madeline in 1983, but her only real long run on a show was as a supporting player on Cosby, which was Bill Cosby's post-Cosby show sitcom that ran from 1996 to 2000. Madeline didn't live to see the end of that show, however. In November 1999, she shared with the public that she was aggressively treating a case of ovarian cancer, and roughly one month later, she had died. She had a really interesting career where she was so good at so many different things that seemed like they shouldn't all overlap in one person. Mm -hmm. She could sing comedy, but also opera. She did these 
very dramatic parts, but also these screwball parts. She really was so multi-talented. And this week, as we've been preparing for this episode, I've been thinking just a lot about what else she might have done had she not died in her 50s. And it it made me a little Mm. sad. I'm sure everyone else has some Madeline Kahn memories to share. So who would like to say something about Madeline Kahn? I just realized something that I think I might have been drawn to in her. And it's this thing that she can do two different things at once. Where her face is telling you something, or you think her tone of voice is telling you something, and you think you really know where she's going to go. Like, oh, she's going to go over the laugh right now. She's going to go over the drama right now. And she doesn't. And I think that's a really special talent. I think that kind of sucks someone in. Even like, I'm thinking like Paper Moon, which for some reason I just recently watched some of. I don't know why. Um, But that monologue that she does in Paper Moon, which like she should have won the Academy Award for, uh, is great because you think she's going to say certain things and she doesn't. And she's talking to a kid. It's so I think it's this ability to do two things at once that are really cool. And there's, I even when I was watching the episode of her on the Muppet Show, I think there are all of these moments where I think she's going to do one thing and she does something else. And I just like that. So I'm, I'm just drawn to that. My admiration for Madeline Kahn knows no bounds and also has been burned into my brain for as long as I can remember. I don't think I remember not being in love with Madeline Kahn to some degree and wishing that she were alive so that I could hang out with her. I mean, when I was a kid, that was mostly because of Blazing Saddles, but I've, I've loved that this week we've uh, had an excuse for me to finally go back and watch some of the movies that I had not Mm -hmm. yet seen featuring her, especially um, Paper Moon. I'm glad I finally got to watch that and had a good reason to. She's fantastic. I don't know how else to say it. I totally understand why Gonzo would fall head over heels for her at first sight. I'm right there with him. So obvious to say, but like, she's so great in Young Frankenstein, which is my favorite of the classic Mel Brooks movies. I love Spaceballs, but I know that that's divisive. So um, (laughs) (laughs) um, we'll just leave it at Young Frankenstein. You know, and she, I mean, Clue is also, you know, such a classic. I mean, there's such, they're over the top performances, but she also Mm. makes those feel like real characters in their way and and that's that's impressive um right she's hugely funny but she makes them grounded and especially in a mel brooks movie i feel like that's really hard to do (laughs) but yeah i mean she's she's a legend for a reason yeah i i was a kid who rented the vhs of clue so many times i probably could have bought it 10 times Mm -hmm. over (laughs) Mm -hmm. so it, it was fun to see her in different modes in this episode because clue is my primary association with her. I'm just going to add that for any listeners who aren't familiar with her Broadway work, she d- had just some like incredibly memorable and hilarious moments. And uh, we're, we're going to load up the show notes with some videos. So uh, yeah. if you've never seen her sing Getting Married Today from Company, for example. You just have to. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mandatory. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Requ- that's as required I was- viewing. Mm-hmm. As I was sort of getting into musical theater, which I, I came to a little later than than David, for example, um, was like actually around the time of that of that Sondheim special, and that might have been my introduction of that song. Actually, it's brilliant. When was the Anyone Can Whistle? That was in the late nineties, I think. Because I think I might have been more familiar with that 
than I was with the um, Sondheim special. And I mean, it was just a recording, but it's also, it's her and Angela Lansbury, like fighting yeah. with each other. No, no, it's, it's her and Bernadette Peters fighting. Her, oh, is it? Oh, that's yeah, and, and Angela Lansbury. Narrated, but- yeah, right, right. So it's her and Bernadette Peters, which is like, come on. Well, also, I, I said to Adam earlier this week that I realized that Madeline Kahn and Bernadette Peters are sort of like the mirror universe versions of each other. Mm. Really, like, really what it is is that Madeline Kahn is like evil Bernadette Peters. Uh, <laughs> they, they no, both are like, no. are like beautiful creepy dolls. It's the with other like, way around. I think Bernadette Peters is the evil Madeline Kahn. Ooh. I mean, you maybe. Bernadette just, had Madeline killed. <laughs> but there could only be one. All I know is from people who knew them and worked with them, uh, Madeline was the evil one. <laughs> it might be. <laughs> so I think we've we've all tipped our hands a little bit, but uh, James, this is the point in the show where we share our, our overall impressions of the episode uh, as our guest. Why don't you uh, start us off? Um, it was re- I get yeah, I when I remembered the Madeline Khan episode, it wasn't until I sat and like watched the whole thing that I was like, oh, okay, I fully saw this as a kid. So I had to go back to what I was feeling then and then what, you know, 40-something-year-old me is feeling now. And it's the same thing. It's, I'm watching her do all of these things as a funny, I don't, I hate to say just funny because that's not what she was, but I think there are people who think of her as just a comedian. And I saw again, this like human being side and you're acting with Muppets <laughs> and you're, you know, am I looking in their eyes? Am I like, how do I actually touch Gonzo's nose? Like all of those things. And she still finds a way to make it a human being. I actually had 40 something year old feelings when Gonzo was singing the wishing song and she was like, just there to support him and be like, Hey, it's not going to happen with us, but I'm still here. And I was like touched and I was like, are you having feelings around the Muppets? Like wh- what is going on? So I think it's just a really special skill to be able to do that. It's an, so like my overall impression, other than the fact that I wanted more from her and Miss Piggy, like I, I just picked, there were so many lost opportunities I feel for like some sort of duet between the two of them. Um, but my overall impression was like, ah, she found a way to just make this a human being in a half an hour show. Um, so I was uh, I was down for that. Christy? I had an interesting experience with this where I did not enjoy it on first watch, and I deeply enjoyed it on the second watch. And I don't know if I was going in with heightened expectations because of who I know Madeline Kahn to be, but uh, yeah, once, once I, I, I met this episode where it lived, I was really charmed by it. It, it it's really lovely it it goes down smooth but it has a lot of laughs too but you know there there's a lot of mm. melancholy in it and i i appreciate that so interesting because i've had that experience earlier this season but i haven't had that i didn't have it with this i really like this episode a lot and and it, as we've been tracking the evolution of the show this one's interesting to me because it has like a, a very full backstage plot with the guest star but that doesn't intersect with the onstage plot at all. And we just, you know, we've, we've seen both versions of that now. Or there is no onstage plot, right? It doesn't intersect with the onstage stuff. There's a lot of very short bits. Mm-hmm. 
which I appreciate it because if, if something doesn't land, you're onto the next thing very quickly, which is not necessarily how things have felt so far. And for, for me, it added up in a good way, but I could see how that might not necessarily land. Michal, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, given how much I adore Madeline Kahn, I was worried about whether to set high expectations for this episode, but any expectations I had were exceeded. I really adored this episode. And not just because Madeline Kahn plays well with the Muppets, which she definitely does, but it, yeah, as Adam was saying, it packs a whole lot of bang for your buck into this episode. We're hurtling through a whole boatload of just relentlessly Muppety exuberance. It just keeps going and you get to the end and think that that was, it felt like several episodes worth of Muppet Show. (laughs) And some of the songs in here became Muppet classics and it's always fun to see them. And there's some terrific Madeline Kahn moments of her just being very human with the Muppets, touching Gonzo's nose, like you said, and like flirting with the the Muppet feet on the mutations. And she's, uh, we'll we'll get to the end, but um, Gonzo's wearing a magician's suit and she needs a hanky and she starts pulling out his handkerchiefs and keeps going and she's just so tickled by it in such a real way it's it there's so much to love in this episode and not every single sketch is pure muppet magic but it it really feels like they've hit their stride on this episode mm. david yeah i don't know how much more i have to add except that in addition to what everyone else has said, the opening number of this episode might be my favorite Kermit performance, might be my favorite Muppet show song. Uh, and so is that in a way, it waits the episode weirdly for me because it starts on such a high note. It's like, oh, my God, how do they keep up with that? But it is just a really satisfying episode. Madeline Kahn. Oh, Madeline Kahn. 15 seconds to curtain, Miss Kahn. Oh, thank you, Scooter. I won't let you do it. Do you hear me? I won't let an artist of your beauty and integrity go up there and work on this weird, sick show. So that was uh, Sam bursting into Madeline Kahn's dressing room and refusing to let her go on. And meanwhile, as he's saying all this, Madeline Kahn is donning a wig and groucho glasses and blowing a party streamer at him. You're on. So clearly Sam has never seen anything that Madeline Kahn's ever done, right? <laughs> it's real weird. It's real weird, especially in an episode where the main plot is that Gonzo falls in love with Madeline Kahn. Right. That Sam also seems to be horny for Madeline Kahn. <laughs> I think I think Sam re- like respects her artistry. I'm hoping that Sam respects her artistry. I mean, he I praises her, her yeah. beauty and integrity. She has those things. Yeah. And it was it was the seventies, and you know, one of her first big splashes was singing in a Leonard Bernstein tribute concert. And we know mm-hmm. that Sam deeply respects Leonard Bernstein. Right. And- <laughs> I mean, so I feel like he recognizes the beauty in her artistry as well. I'm, I'm I hope that that's what it was. <laughs> yeah, all right. That's a reasonable hope. <laughs> um, <laughs> no news tonight in the Yay Evolution department. Stetler and Waldorf are facing away from the stage, which helps a little, but they can still hear. Gonzo's trumpet blows orange smoke, which looks beautiful, as did last week's green smoke. I guess still we'll- no Pope. <laughs> <laughs> no attorney. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's the news from Gonzo's trumpet. No Pope tonight. Yeah, Muppet Joe backstage. 
So this week backstage, uh, Gonzo's got woman troubles, and this time they're with a real human woman. Gonzo is interrupted in his rehearsal with Eric the Yodeling Clam by Madeline Kahn walking in. He tells Eric to take five. Eric the Yodeling Clam promptly clamps down on Gonzo's nose, and Madeline helpfully intervenes. I just before we play the clip, because I'm sure we'll then move on to other things. I I don't know why it just delights me so much that his name is Eric. <laughs> It's just such a weird little detail. It's a okay. nice benign name for a clown. Right? All right, moving on. I think you're terrific on the show. You do? Yeah. I, I hate to say anything happened to you. Especially you would? Well, yeah. Of course. Wow. Look, you're not just kidding around here, are you? Of course I'm not kidding. I think you're terrific. Excuse me, Miss Khan. It's time to get ready for your musical number. Oh, thank you, Scooter. I'll, I'll see you later, Gonzo. Oh, excuse me. I'm sorry. Yeah, hey, Gonzo, how's it going with your yodeling clam? You can have him. I'm in love. What's he good for? Chowder. <laughs> and then Scooter does this perfect little take to the camera as Gonzo is rushing off pursuing Madeline Khan. Scooter's like, huh? It's great. Also, can we talk about the delightfully 1977-ness of Madeline Khan's outfit? Please. Oh, Literally oh. nothing she's wearing matches. <laughs> It's perfect. It's so perfect. good. It's it's right? wearing this like dusty mauve sheer button up shirt with roses on it and like a weird blue shirt underneath mm-hmm. and a gray newsy cap. Ugh, it's iconic. I love it. Her hair is always down backstage and it's just my favorite. I think I didn't, I think realize at the time, but now I'm like, oh my God, she's like total fashion icon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it just sucked me in. Well, and this whole episode, the, the Muppet, I mean, Gonzo has two new costumes, and so does Kermit in this episode. And they're all oh, yeah. fantastically 1977. And we're not a fashion podcast, but we, we're here to admire outfits on The Muppet Show. Take that, Met Gala. <laughs> <laughs> I, I keep noticing different photos on the wall of the dressing room, and I don't. maybe this is not actually new. I just noticed it for the first time, but when Scooter comes in to the dressing room, or Sam, or whatever. There's a picture of Statler and Waldorf right by the door. Wh- why the fuck would there be a picture of Statler and Waldorf on the wall of anyone's dressing room at the well, Muppet we know Show? They've that auditioned makes no sense. For the show. True, but it's deeply weird. Yeah. Wait, this is in which dressing? In Madeline Kahn's dressing room. Really? There are a bunch of pictures on the wall of like various Muppets, including like non-regulars, which I think is sort of great because they're like past guests okay um like the menomena backup singers but statler waldorf doesn't make any sense and i think they are rotating them right like i think uh, because i'm pretty sure the statler waldorf picture is where in previous weeks we've seen a gonzo picture for example yeah i I feel like i would have noticed it before because it, it feels incredibly out of place yeah anyway i just wanted to note that gonzo announces that he's now in love with madeline khan and this escalates quickly he goes to his dressing room and tells her that while he is, he's always had a crush on her, he is no longer interested, and uh, she is at first relieved. Good! I'm glad you finally come to your senses! <laughs> oh, oh, my dear Gonzo, I know it will be painful for a while, but in time, you shall forget all about me. But I already have. <laughs> yes, I found somebody else. Oh, uh, well, uh, yeah, what, uh, <clears throat> what's she like? Well, she's nothing like you at all. Mm-hmm. She's beautiful. <laughs> oh, 
rude. I, I just it's this is an interesting episode for Frank Oz because he's not like none of his characters are, are featured, but like Piggy and Fozzie both have some fantastic moments in this episode, and this is one of them. Just like every, every turn of this, from like the initial like yes, please stop bothering me to wait, mm-hmm. you're not in love with me. Why not? <laughs> like everyone's in love with me to the like actual being offended, which is, you know, not actually unwarranted in this case, because he is kind of a dick about it. Um, <laughs> it's just, it's just so great. And I, and I love it. Also, um, this is the scene where um, Gonzo's wearing this like little sort of disco outfit and it's fantastic. It is the open collar. Oh. We are again, not a fashion podcast, but uh, we should note the next time we see Gonzo, he's in an adorable tux and a top hat. The Muppets are all really cleaning up nicely this episode. Uh, He last used this tux for a magic act, which is all fine until spiders and flowers start popping out of it because he's got some big plans. Madeline, Con, and I are getting married. Married? Yeah, moving out to the suburbs, buying a station wagon, joining the PTA, the whole ball of wax. Gonzo, you just met Madeline, Con. (sighs) I know. I work fast, Kermit. I'm going to ask her now. Wait a second. You haven't even asked her yet? Kermit, she's crazy about me. Yeah, don't you think you're rushing things a little? Now it's creepy. I mean, it is actually, we get a very sweet turn from Kermit in this episode where he just kind of listens patiently with curiosity to Gonzo and kind of accepts all this and he's mostly hiding his skepticism. And then, of course, he goes and tells Madeline Kahn and everything promptly falls apart. But I, I feel terrible now. Well, it, it wasn't your fault, Madeline. I mean, uh, you know, Gonzo doesn't get many compliments, so when he does hear one, he kind of goes bananas. Well, I mean, I, I was just trying to be nice to Gonzo. I mean, I'd marry him. I would marry him. Listen, Kermit, you, you've got to help me find him, okay? okay. Oh, which Gonzo has been overhearing. So when he, when he hears Madeline Khan saying, I mean, marry him, as though that's the most absurd thing she can think of, it's... It's a tough moment for Gonzo. Really but it, sad. Yeah. It does lead us into the wishing song, which we'll talk about later. But yeah, Muppet has romantic intrigue with guest star is not new territory for us or for the Muppet show at this point, but it is a, a sweet little situation. I'm very sorry I made you sad. <sighs> you know, I, I just really don't think it would work out if we got married. Yeah, I suppose I am kind of short for you. No! No, it's, well, anyway, hey, I hope we can be the very best of friends. Uh, thank you. <laughs> and if there's anything I can ever do for you. There is one thing. What? Let me finish my song. Oh, of course. So that's nice. I mean. <laughs> I'm a big fan of whenever they use a song like that and then acknowledge that they're in the middle of a song mm. similar mm-hmm. to when Nancy Walker was with Fozzie and she sang him a song to cheer him up and then was like, but that's just a song. <laughs> <laughs> You're still in deep shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We may be the very best, very best of friends, but you could at least let me finish my song. I thought it was very sweet. It was. We've talked about this a little bit in the in past episodes, but it, it, it feels like Gonzo becoming the Gonzo that we kind of know now. Which is yeah. sort of sad, <laughs> but it's very sweet. Well, it's just so funny because so much of Gonzo of the last 30 to 40 years is actually 
Gonzo in a loving, committed relationship. So these years of Gonzo with crushes on unattainable women, like it does lead into that, but it's also so so not part of who he is now. Yeah. You know? But also, like the Gonzo the Muppet movie, I feel is 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 really like definitional to my understanding of Gonzo, and and like I'm going to go back there someday, and the wishing song feel very similar to me, definitely, like, definitely. Tonally, you know? Yeah, there is a yearning to Gonzo. Yeah. The only other thing I want to say about this is in the the final scene of the episode when they're like saying goodbye, Gonzo says something to Madeline about. Uh, now you'll have to go to all those PTA meetings alone. And I had <laughs> missed the part, which we just played a couple minutes ago, where he talks about going to PTA meetings with her. So it just played as like a total non sequitur to me. And I was like, oh my God, did he knock her up? Like, what is going on? <laughs> well, it seemed a little advanced to make a joke about that if you missed mm. the PTA thing from earlier. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, add that to your spreadsheet. <laughs> Lots of music this week. Uh, some of it of the iconic variety. Many of you people have been writing in to ask the question, can the frog tap dance? <laughs> and of course, the answer to that is, hit it. Happy feet. I've got those happy feet. Give them a low down beat. And they begin dancing. I've got those ten little tapping toes. And when they hear a tune, I can't control my dancing heels to save my soul. Weary. It's Happy Feet. It's one of Kermit's signature numbers. Mm-hmm. And I was really excited to see this. It's one of my favorites, too. It's from a 1930 movie called King of Jazz. And before we get into it, David, have you seen this movie? This seems like a movie that you would have seen. Mm-hmm. Yes. In fact, we've talked about it on the podcast before because it's also the film where Mississippi Mud appears. Right. Ironically. And it's available. There's a <laughs> there is a gorgeous Criterion Blu-ray of it. It is a film that is very much of its time. It has a whole sequence that is a like a pageant of the world. Uh, this may ring some bells because oh, we talked yeah. about this before. So, like, if you're looking for a not racist, however, the happy feet sequence in the film is some of the best on screen dancing I've ever seen. Uh, the full clip is on YouTube. It will be in our show notes. There are people in this clip who do things I did not know the human body can do. It is just really outstanding. Wow. And I always thought that this was a reference. I, I just watched that clip right before we started recording. And I always thought that this was a reference to that. But now I think I realized that maybe other things have been referencing this for the last 40 years with like the split screen and the multiple Kermits and everything. Cause that's not in the King of jazz. It's not in King of jazz, but that is a very like Bubsy Berkeley late thirties, early forties kind of technique. So that's true. I think that, yeah. That, the Muppets are, are making sort of a general reference to the movie musicals of the 30s, mm-hmm. just not a specific mm-hmm. reference to King of Jazz. That does make a lot of sense, yes. However, I would say that I think this performance of Happy Feet is, meaning Kermit's performance, is incredibly influential. And I think that, for example, the film Happy Feet with the tap dancing penguins would not have been called that had Kermit not made this song alive for a new generation. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so this uh, has music by Milton Ager. Ager, do we know? No idea. 
No idea. I, I couldn't find anything. Uh, and lyrics by Jack Yellen. The arrangements in uh, King of Jazz, I found out, were done by Ferd Grofe, who's known mostly as Gershwin's orchestrations collaborator and a v- amazing uh, composer in his own right. Uh, Ferd Grofe stands. Come find me. I can talk about <laughs> Ferd Grofe all day. <laughs> Grand Canyon Suite for life! Um, uh, but also, I found out I, I just fell down the rabbit hole of king of jazz and now i need to track down this criterion version of it uh that it has some animated interstitial stuff in it including some segments with oswald the lucky rabbit now post disney oswald the lucky rabbit but oswald the lucky rabbit so i'm very intrigued i've got a question for you guys are jerry and frank singing along when we get the multiple kermits yeah i question i actually clipped this because i i had the same thought that it was weird to not track Jim. So if you haven't watched the episode that we see, you know, like a kaleidoscope of Kermit's dancing. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is what we hear. Jerry Blues can't get into our shoes because our shoes are new to ever go weary. We keep tearful on an earful of music because we've got pop, 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 yeah, so that is definitely yeah. the whole cast singing. Yeah, right? Yeah. It's, yeah. I also just love that lyric, we get cheerful <laughs> on an earful. Yeah, um, I'm glad you clipped it. I was trying to figure it out. But yeah, it sounds like the Muppet cast. But yeah, like it feels like the the, the normal thing to do would be to, to multi-track the performer, because that's the, that's the gag. But I'm guessing they didn't have the time or money for that, so they just had the whole cast come in and sing. <laughs> so I was 43 years old before I realized that we never see Kermit's feet in this number. <laughs> Uh, I was 46 and it was last month when you mentioned it. I forget if it was on mic or on our Slack, but does anyone know when is the first time we started to see Muppet feet? Oh, we We have seen Kermit's feet on the show. I mean, you see Kermit's feet in salmon friends, like all the way back. Like, cause they used to have him, you know, sitting on top of a, a a little wall and you could see his feet. It has always taken me out when I see Muppet feet. I I want to not see the feet. Let's let's explore that. I know. <laughs> I do, but it's something I've realized about myself. Like like older me, the the reason I was a little bored at sometimes it's usually when there's Muppet feet, and I've noticed it, it as the adult me has watched some Sesame Street, and now they're just showing puppet feet constantly, and I'm I'm bored. I never want to see Muppet feet. I think there are some Muppets whose feet are more upsetting than others. So, for example, Maybe like, like yes. we have a pretty clear idea of Kermit's full body, whether or not we right. ever have to see his bottom half. Right. But, like, when right. you see Cookie Monster's feet and, like, his I'm, hips, that's upsetting. It's deeply, <laughs> <Yeah>. deeply unsettling. <laughs> I'm actually kind of angry. Yeah. Like, how do you feel about, like, the Rainbow Connection, where he's, like, sitting on the log or, 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 or riding the bikes well, see, in the Muppet movie? If you are outside... In reality, a swamp, Central Park, I get it. Then I'm, well, I'm more okay with it. It's when you're in like some weird Muppet verse and you're just, they're just showing some swinging feet. Mm -hmm. I'm completely removed. Do Miss Piggy's hooves in heels give you pause the way, uh, in a way that her gloved fingers do not? I, I, they own, those only make me want to speak to wardrobe. (laughs) Because they work, I just want to go up a size in everything. 
I th- but it's some so when you're outside doing real things, I'm okay. Because you know you have to ride a bike, you have to walk down the aisle and get married. But when you're just kind of in the middle of nowhere dancing, I don't want to see just dangling Muppet feet. And as this clip proves, there's no need to show Muppet feet. You can show an right. entire and it's, iconic it's kind of funny. Yeah. To just see the top half of someone fully tap dancing, a chorus of people tap dancing and no feet. Little did they know that uh, a few years later, MTV would come on and convince people that that's actually what dancing is supposed to look like. And we'd never see full body dancers on screen again. (laughs) It is, though, it's an astonishing gag because you really just don't think about it. You don't think about it. Yeah. And it's. It is a choreographed routine, even if you yeah. don't see what Kermit's feet are doing, because there's a recording of tap shoes tap dancing, yep. and Kermit is moving along with them in a way that you really yeah. don't think about it. And he's moving in a way that a tap dancer would for some of his routine, and so moving his I've arms done constantly, this. and then moving like a Muppet. On, on stage, before I cannot tap dance, <laughs> and I'm six foot three. So, but I have been in multiple musicals where someone has asked me, can you tap? And of course you say, well, oh, yeah, of course I can. <laughs> I'll, I'll read a book or something. And I, but because my rationale was, you're going to put me in the back row and I will sell it hard <laughs> to this day from the back row. You'll think I'm like, I'm like a, 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 a I don't even know. Like it's some, some amazing tap dancer. <laughs> from the waist up. From the waist up, I will sell it. <laughs> yeah. The question is, uh, did Gwen Verdon also dub the tap sounds? <laughs> oh. Like like she did for Jane Kelly and Singing the Rain. <laughs> she did? Yeah, yeah, just the sounds. Um, wow. Chrissy has really? been waiting weeks to work that into a Muppet Turkey <laughs> episode. Here we can see it just took Muppet feet. There we go. While we're on the topic of feet. <laughs> oh, there's more. Well, they uh, kept it as a running theme. See what yeah. that's the. I am so curious to know if this is deliberate because it has to be. This is also not the last time we're going to talk about Muppet feet in this episode. There are there are many feet in this episode, right? I'm sure somewhere Quentin Tarantino is very pleased. Mm. <laughs> well, we know David is. <laughs> so our first Madeline Con number is also of the foot variety. Yeah. Okay. Yep. <laughs> uh, sure. Why not? Sure. So, so this is a song called "Your Feet," <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I could find surprisingly little about it online. Muppet Wiki says that it was written by Ronnie Graham. And Ronnie Graham was a frequent collaborator of Mel Brooks. So it, it makes me wonder mm. if he wrote the song for Madeline Kahn, like if it was a specialty number I for suspect her. So. Yeah. But yeah. He, uh, Ronnie, Ronnie Graham co-wrote the screenplays for uh, To Be or Not To Be and Spaceballs. 
he also wrote several episodes of MASH, and he was an actor who appeared in a lot of TV shows and movies and Broadway shows, mm-hmm. including New Faces of 1952, New Faces of 1956, and New Faces of 1962, mm-hmm. which begs the question, how long did face stay new? Wait, was he in all those, or he wrote on those? He uh, was both. in them for 10 years. Both. He continued to be new over a decade? And what's interesting, though, is that he was not in The New Faces of 1968, which is the one that Madeline Kahn was in. I want to know about the years he took off. The years he took off must have been really... Maybe he was having like, surgery. So I, I don't think they did it every single face. year. I think they just did them occasionally at that point. I mean... Long enough for people to come back with a new face, yeah. yeah. Right. I, you can't give someone a contract to come back and... Re- you can't have a revival of new faces. Because there's old faces. So this number is Madeline Kahn with three of the mutations. Yes. Uh, And they have very large feet. Did they always have large feet? I think it depends on what they're doing. Sometimes they wear shoes, right? Right. I'm going to look at some GIFs. Um, (laughs) I did not think to look this up. But uh, yeah, I think it depends on what they're doing, you know, how much they have to do. What I found weird about their feet is that they, they have very prominent toes for this gag and the toes look sort of like an afterthought oh so <laughs> like okay so when when they were uh when they did teenager in love with connie stevens mm-hmm. they did not have shoes on they oh. did have big fuzzy feet but they did also, not have toes also sandy duncan they have the big fuzzy feet but no toes so yes so they've always had these big feet but i i am i, I am not a crackpot those toes were <laughs> added gross i mean are they, made new? they were just like stuck on top of their feet if if these are outfits that they're wearing by putting on feet and putting on a head, then they could they could make new feet. Mm. Yeah, yes, mm. I understand that they're not actually living creatures that they are. <laughs> they but maybe because further. the song, maybe because this particular song was called "Your Feet," and they were they were going to have a, a foot feature. Maybe they wanted to fancy up. The oh yeah, feet. I mean the toes make sense. They just don't look. Real. I mean, they're, they're monster toes. They don't bother me. They're, right. That's true. <laughs> they don't look like authentic, real monster toes. That is true. A right. thing I noticed about the mutations, I think, just the way that um, Madeline Kahn interacts with them yes. super up close yep. in a way that I don't think we've really seen anyone do before. And there's something about the design of their eyes that really makes it look like they're looking at her, even though that is completely impossible. Like, they're much taller than her, the eyes don't move, but, like, the the angle of them creates a really cool illusion that's just a, a really neat bit of design and puppetry. So I did not like the toes, I love the face. <laughs> <laughs> the mutations have come a long way, and we, we've come a long way in our feelings for them, I think. <laughs> yeah, it, I think it, it varies on how they're deployed, and I think that's always going to be true for me, but I, I like I like this. I have to say, I did not like this song, but it's her. Like, and there's sort of a, it looked like she was just having so much fun. There's moments where they're like literally tossing her around or like carrying her through all of their arms. And it looks and sounds like she's having the time of her life. And I thought that for me sold the song for a song that wasn't like, it wasn't great. But the fact that she enjoyed singing it so much, it looked like she was more just like, I'm like giggling through this, sold the song for me. It's also worth mentioning that for reasons that are never explained, there's a vague Middle Eastern theming to this number. Total genie in a bottle. 
Yeah, like it's on the border of needing a warning. This episode didn't have a warning. <laughs> but uh, There's another thing coming up that also I, 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 I was surprised that this episode doesn't have at least one of the small warnings. Yeah, the, the two oh. of them put together, each of them is at least, you know, 0.75 of needing a warning, yeah. but probably all the way at a one out of one needs a warning. Yeah, it's like the mutations are all wearing turbans. You know, mm-hmm. she's wearing flowy kind of harem Yep. It, yeah. It's, do you think that was just in the service of how do we concoct a situation where it makes sense that she's at foot level for them? Yeah. And they're all barefoot. I buy that, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I'm not it's saying that like makes it okay, but yeah, that's probably yeah, the reason, but it's, it's super appropriative and weird. Yeah. There are a lot of pillows. It also kind of vaguely feels like that number where piggy was feeling herself at pier one. Yeah. This is like, Pier one with an elevated uh, level of Orientalism. So we get a couple of really short numbers or joke allusions to numbers in this episode. This one is incredibly short, but it's delightful. why they're booing him i think that's a lovely rendition i want to hear the rest of it and also i just love these 10 seconds so much (laughs) there's no better encapsulation of muppet show exuberance it makes total sense yeah this is at least a very creative take on gershwin (laughs) like (laughs) like you're not hearing this on rod stewart's american songbook album are you no Yeah, it's a Gershwin song. It's from a 1937 movie called A Damsel in Distress, uh, which starred uh, next week's guest star, George Burns. And it's a song that, uh, oh, we should mention what the song is. It's The Foggy Day in London Town. Um, And uh, it is a song that noted Joe Rapozo's Stan Frank Sinatra has recorded. There it is. By the way, Damsel in Distress, a great 1930s musical. If you're looking for something light and fun, uh, it, it shows up on HBO Max all the time. Highly recommend it. It's Fred Astaire mm. alongside George Burns and Gracie Allen. How racist? Not. Great. Great. I mean, Perfect. racist against British people, but you know. That doesn't count. <laughs> um, Is that even a thing? No. It should be. <laughs> there, should, there should be more of that. <laughs> they had an empire. They're fine. And, you know, we should note Animal has a very uh, sitting with his legs spread very wide. It is the, the drum widest set. stance I've ever seen, and we can see both of his feet, both feet. And it's not actually it. how playing the drums work. You need your feet, oh, but I whatever. Know. So yeah, puppet feet. I also like. I'm delighted by how long his legs are. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. I literally had these exact same thoughts. I, I feel like the length of Muppet legs has a lot to do with whether or not we mm. like them, or at least mm. whether or not I like them. I agree. I think that's something that might be a thing. And and that's also something that if you plot them out over time, they they slightly adjust until they mm-hmm. hit the mark, right? Like we saw Gonzo a couple weeks ago, and I thought his legs just looked too short in a way that made me really like creeped out. But certainly, mm-hmm. if you watch a contemporary Gonzo thing, his legs are a slightly longer length that feel more suited to his body, and it's not quite as weird. So, are we going to start a graph over the course of the rest of this podcast? No. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I would, I just want to track that graph. Like I would like, if someone could just like occasionally start that and like update it, 
I would live for that. <laughs> if we have a super fan out there who wants to start graphing the relative lengths of Muppet legs, uh, that's a thing. That would be great. We, we would be happy to amplify your work. Who sits on a log? Doesn't already exist. I'm, it's got to somewhere. I just find it interesting that one frog can sit on a log with one length of leg, and just a few years later ride a bike in Central Park with legs that are like a foot longer. <laughs> so there is a Muppet Wiki page called Feet and Legs. Yep. There we go. And there's also a discussion on MuppetCentral.com forums from 2011, Kermit's feet and leg length. Oh, gosh. Well, that was a decade ago. There's also a Muppet Legs Urban Dictionary entry. <gasps> I'm oh, no. not going to nope. click it. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I am going to be up all night. Oh, my God. Related searches, Muppet hair, Muppet eyes, Muppet arms. Well, now now it's a thing. Uh-huh. So there, there are uh, multiple recurring themes in this week's music. Beyond the feet, we travel from uh, London, uh, from the animal gag, to New York for the UK spot. <laughs> Some folks like to get away, take a holiday from the neighborhood. Hop a flight to Miami Beach or to Hollywood. I'm taking a Greyhound on the Hudson River Line. I'm in a New York state of mind. So yeah, something not from a, a 30s musical. Uh, right. <laughs> uh, actually, uh, at this point, a very new Billy Joel song from a 1976 album called Turnstiles, New York State of Mind. It's been uh, covered by many, many people. Not Sinatra. I went looking. It seems like the sort of thing that he would have enjoyed. But <laughs> Yeah, it does. Uh, but no. Um, I have some gripes with this. Particularly, oh. this, I feel like, should have been a Ralph number. Because Billy Joel being totally. a piano player, I just, I, and the thing is, I, I, I'm on record as being a fan of the mayhem. Like I, I don't have a problem with a very straightforward electric mayhem number, but Floyd's performance of this is so flat. Yeah. Okay, good. I thought maybe it was me and, and you're the expert and it's the clip, the clip sounds fine, but right after that, it goes up a tone. Right. And, he yeah it's really it gets really bad yeah it's just i mean and, and, and flat in multiple senses i mean yeah like musically flat but also just like di- not very dynamic yeah uh by his standards here's the thing though billy joel in 1976 was cool which i know is so weird to say because <laughs> in 2021 it certainly isn't but i think at the time if they're going to do a Billy Joel song, of course it's going to be the Electric Mayhem and not Rolf. Like, you know, yes, Tony Bennett eventually covered New York City of Mine, but not in 1976. Mm. I I could see the case for Dr. Teeth singing it, though. That's my only issue is yeah. like that vocal. I feel I just feel like somebody who's a better singer should be doing yeah. it. Someone who already plays the piano and who's just a slightly better singer. And Rolf does cover it on uh, Old Brown Ears is Back. It will be a Rolf song as well. And I really oh. enjoy both of those versions. I I don't have I hear what you're saying about the flat, both musically and uh, as far as the arrangement. But I I really enjoy this. <laughs> I just thought it was weird that Janice was excluded. 
Exactly. Well, she's clearly from California. True. <laughs> Ooh. Wow. This is true. Never thought of that. For sure. Uh, so don't leave the 30s for long. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow this is not the UK spot. Not a word did I utter as I lay down in the gutter. And this pig came up and lay down by my side. Not a soul was I disturbing as I lay down by the curbing. When this high-toned lady came, I heard her say, You can tell a man who boozes by the company he chooses. And the pig got up and slowly walked away. Yikes. (laughs) So... So yeah, this is a song called uh, "The Pig Got Up and Slowly Walked Away." Uh, there's yeah. nothing like, like making the the spoilery, terrible punchline of your joke, your, the title of your song. But that's what uh, F. W. Bowers and uh, Benjamin Hapgood Burt did. It's a song <laughs> from 1933, and I have a question. Kermit introduces this as one of the great classics of the musical theater. Yes. Yeah, I got excited, and then this happened. Yeah, like I was expecting. I mean, I don't know. Like, <laughs> it's funny. I've, I've I've been trying to think of like like what the like most terrible stereotypical like piano bar thing, and, and I was just like metal lark. Um, <laughs> <laughs> not get a classic I this moment. <laughs> yeah, I would have paid good money though. Yeah, not not a, a piece of the musical theater. Full stop. It's just a song a, from the thirties. It's a weird choice. And it's set like, then the pigs get mad. And why do the pigs get mad? Isn't the pig the, like, isn't the man the one who's insulted? Well, not but the, the pig the, in the song? The, the joke the relies that, on your expectation that the pig is is gross. Right. And right. like, the pig is so gross that, like, and or the pig got up and slowly walked away. It's the, 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 it relies on the pig being so gross that even the pig knew. He had to slowly walk away. Like, sorry, guys, it's me. Huh? It's very it's it's, it's pig shaming. Yeah. <laughs> There's also like a like a gender thing happening here that yeah. I don't care for. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> it's a really weird choice of a bad song. <laughs> that of course it's Fozzy, so he sells it, and it's you know it's Fozzy, and then the pigs coming out, and I was like, this is a, this is a tense moment. And I don't like to see Fozzy uh, being the uh, center point of tension like that. I don't get why this needed to be there. I mean, I think this was the kind of song that, uh, although we don't necessarily know it now, I think in the 70s it was probably still recent enough that it's the kind of thing that people might have heard their grandparents sing to them. Yeah, I was mm-hmm. I was doing the math, right? So like it's actually exactly this song was 45 years old then. Then and What's a 45-year-old song now? New York State of Mind is a 45-year-old uh. song now. So <laughs> wow. <laughs> right. But like still though, it doesn't feel like one that would have lasted in quite the same way. Does it, but it? it's like a dad joke. So it's it's definitely yeah, the kind of thing yeah. that I could picture my yeah. grandfather singing to me. You yeah. Know? Right. It's interesting. I did go on a little bit of a a hunt to figure out if this did come from the musical theater in any meaningful way. And Mm -hmm. while I didn't find any evidence of that, Benjamin Burt, who is the lyricist here did write lyrics for like 
a, a ton of shows in the 30s. You know, often it was, you know, for the kind of musical reviews where they had lots of different writers. So he might have contributed a song here, a song there. So it's possible that this showed up in some kind of musical review at some point. Most wow. interestingly to me, though, uh, this guy, Ben Burt, is credited with coining the phrase, all dressed up with no place to go, which was the title of a different song of his. Huh. Wow. That's, I never knew that. So we get one more quick Wayne and Wanda style joke song moment. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. (laughs) That's the joke. Yeah, so Ralph is playing it, and uh, his candelabra uh, just takes off like a rocket. I'm sad that we didn't get the full song. song I love the song. (laughs) Yeah, so it's it's from 1967. It's called Up, Up, and Away. Uh, It was written by Jimmy Webb. It was a big hit for the Fifth Dimension. Reached number seven on the Hot 100 in 1967. And we haven't mentioned the the BMI uh, Songs of the Century list in a while. It was number 43. Wow. And, yeah, as, as a refresher, the, the, they were the songs that had the most radio and TV airplay during the 20th century. So the <laughs> 43rd most played song. And as a, a person who uh, listened to oldies radio as a kid, I believe it. <laughs> <laughs> Does this count as a play if it's only a few seconds? Oh, that's a good question. I, I think that it was specifically the original recordings on that list. So uh, this was just... Uh, Sprinkles on top. Speaking okay. of recordings of the song, both noted Joe Raposo, Stan Frank Sinatra, and his daughter and Muppet collaborator Nancy Sinatra separately recorded this song. I've heard the Nancy Sinatra version. It's excellent. Neat. So our last number is another of the songs from Paul Tracy, uh, whose first entry we didn't care for. Oh. His first entry was Ugly Song, or, or excuse me, Ugly the song, <laughs> the, the Milton Berle uh, episode. Uh, yeah, re- really unfortunate. The, this one uh, is a lot sweeter and, in my estimation, a lot better. I wish I had a coat of silk, the color of the sky. I wish I had a lady fair as any butterfly. I wish I had a house of stone that looked down on the sea. But most of all, I wish that I was someone else but me. It's so sweet. Uh, It really is. Oh, my God, it really is. Yeah. (laughs) I think when I watched the episode just today, to like get this in my brain, I really, I think I remember watching this as a kid. And I think even then I was just like, Oh wow. I, it, it's a really like touching moment. It's just a very touching moment. And I think I really just, I remember feeling something when I was probably, well, I was three, four, when was this 1979 or 77? 77 originally. But these was, played a reruns throughout our childhood. Yeah. Yeah. I just remember being like left in front of a TV a lot. <laughs> 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 yeah, probably uh, Gen three X. years old or so. 
Yeah. I, I, I don't want to undercut the sweetness, but I wish I had a lady fair as a butterfly as a really, really weird lyric. There's but a quality to this song of like yieldy folk song. Mm-hmm. Yes, totally. And oh, also oh. I've never seen or met or touched a woman, but <laughs> other than that, it's very <laughs> sweet. and very. <laughs> I mean, the song also makes a very quick turn and resolves all of its issues by the time it gets to the repetition saying, yes. I don't Which have a lady, but there goes a butterfly. So, okay. Is this the whole song? Like, is there another verse? Is there a bridge like where that dialogue has been inserted? I'm sure I must have tried to look up the lyrics at some point in my childhood, or at least I, I had this version memorized because this spoke so deeply to my soul when I was a child that I remember writing the lyrics out into my diary because I felt oh, wow. every moment of it so deeply. I found a cover of it that is a minute 45. Oh, no, it's actually Paul Tracy's recording of it is a minute 45. So yeah, it doesn't seem to have anything else in it. I don't want to play it right now because we're recording a podcast, but you know. This reminds me a lot of a Sesame Street song that Kermit sings called If I Were. I don't know if that rings any bells for any of you, uh, but it starts with the line, if I were a poet, I would write a sonnet. It's got sort of a similar melancholy feel to it and kind of a similar rhythm to the lyrics and similar, like as Christy said, ye oldie feel to it. So mm-hmm. I feel like this is maybe a particular mode that spoke to Jim Henson. Yes. I found something online called the Copyright Encyclopedia. So I don't know how real this is, but it says that on the copyright application for the song, which is from 1973, it's mm-hmm. attributed to Paul Tracy and Barbara Tracy. Oh, that is what actually YouTube backs that up. That YouTube link I was just looking at. Did he write the first part and she wrote the second part? Like a Lennon McCartney <laughs> thing and they just happened to write the same lyrics? Right. Well, do we think that's a uh, sister, a wife? Sister wife. I want it to be husband and wife and there was a like nasty divorce. <laughs> <laughs> he wished he like, had a lady fair as any butterfly. Yeah. And she walked yeah. And I, and, and I think there's something there. What a but depressing again. recurring theme. This is like the third or fourth time that we've unearthed like, oh, there was a, a woman of, of some relation involved who uh, no longer gets credit. Then that name goes away all of a sudden. Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> Terrible. Never mind that jazz. Listen, turkey. What? And get out of show business. For an episode that has quite a bit of music, we've also got quite a bit of show business. So uh, we've talked a little bit about the Swedish chef and the lobster banditos. So I guess it's uh, time to talk about them a little bit more officially. The chef is attempting to cook a lobster. That lobster is rescued by uh, other lobsters who show up guns ablazing. It is a culturally insensitive depiction that has become a classic with its own toy memorabilia. I mean, and the lobsters have tiny mustaches and tiny hats and guns, even their guns are adorable, which I can't believe I'm saying out loud. Um, yeah, they shouldn't exist. And also they're very cute at the same time. That's the thing. I just don't understand why they're Mexican. Like the, the joke would work understand. just as well. Yep. Well, and there were different versions of this that they workshop before settling on the Mexican lobsters. Joseph A. Bailey, who is one of the writers of the season, who wrote mm-hmm. uh, his, his memoirs of his time writing for the Muppets, talked about how he wrote this sketch and Jerry Jewell liked it, but Jim Henson didn't. 
And so he kept rewriting it until one week, finally, Cheryl Henson, Jim's daughter, was visiting, happened to hear it during a read-through and liked it and convinced Jim into doing it. But at least one other version was about the chef making lamb stew and a bunch of gangster sheeps who who sounded like they came from Brooklyn came in to, to rough them up instead. So, I don't know. I mean, also, also funny. funny. It was 1970-something. Like, eh. But still, it seems like such a very weird choice. It's like if you were making a Mexican dish, I would understand. If you, but we have a Swedish chef <laughs> mm-hmm. making lobster mm-hmm. as if, like, he's somewhere on Cape Cod with his, like, huge man hands. <laughs> <laughs> and he chooses the Mexican lobster? Yeah. Or was it designed to make us feel the way that we're feeling? They're cute, but it's it's awful. It's Isn't also it? retroactively weird in light of Pepe. Oh, yeah. Because, I hadn't even thought about that. Suddenly, it's like, is there like a weird like Mexican stereotype connection to crustaceans in general? Like, what what's That's happening? Like, yeah, because at first I had this moment of like, like, oh, that sounds like Pepe, that's weird. Uh, Wait, do we know where Pepe is supposed to be from exactly? He's from Madrid. I yeah, I just, it's fascinated. weird. Uh, you mentioned the guns, Michal, and I just want to, like, the guns are practical. Like, there's, like, little, like, <laughs> there's, like, a, an effect happening with the guns, and they're so tiny, and I don't know how that how that works. And I, I just found it remarkable from a puppetry standpoint. But why did they bring guns? To rescue well, their lobster friend. The chef, and I think, has a, the chef has a mallet, so technically that's a weapon. True, he's much bigger than they are. That's true. I do think that's like that's the only reason. Like it's just that they're the they're Mexican banditos from a western. Like that's the right. They're like we need we need the lobsters to be violent. What can we do? So that it was gangsters. <laughs> I'm sure they ran through a whole thing of like they could be gangsters, they could be bank robbers, they could be banditos, right? Like and then they settled on that because it meant they could put them in little hats. I guess I don't know. Yeah, I mean, but yeah, the point, fact that it's racialized makes it really uncomfortable for us choice. now, and it makes it at the time funny. Like putting in a right, stereotype—that's right, a right, funny reference, right, right? I mean, there's also something funny about lobsters in particular carrying guns because they already have claws, <laughs> right? And they don't have, <laughs> mm, but I mean, but they could carry guns and not be—they can't pull the trigger. They don't have thumbs. Yeah, Tricky. I'm just saying, compared to sheep, who are not particularly threatening in their natural form, that's also funny. <laughs> Right, I guess in we've all way. seen the Muppet Sheep puppets. They're very cute. Right. That would they be are. that would be a funny gag too. Um, and lobster banditos also adorable. Trying to make a point with that sketch. What's the point? You're right. Forget it. <laughs> <laughs> that being said, we've got a pigs in space sketch uh, featuring. I, I love these descriptions. I'm going to keep reading them. The salubrious Captain Link Hogthrob, the provocative First Mate Piggy, and the mythical Doctor Strange Pork. Uh, they've all lost power to the steering mechanism on the swine track, and Piggy is certain she knows which switch will fix it. She's wrong. Men, you all stick together. I'm going to try that control. Now you stay on your own side. These are the captain's controls. Those are your controls. They're the first mate controls. You work your own. But my controls are just for the hot plate, the air conditioning, and the stereo. <laughs> they have nothing to do with steering. That's right. She accidentally slams the door on Link's face. And that's the sketch. 
in the uh, opening sequence, Piggy's eyes are a gorgeous shade of blue. <laughs> like I was really struck. Oh, <laughs> yeah. When she first time I ever noticed in. it. Yeah, yeah. And her hair looks great. <laughs> I noticed for the first time, and I don't think it's new either, that um, Link's ears go two different directions. Wow, which is super cute. <laughs> And like a thing that I think, you know, like I, I've certainly seen dog's ears do it. I assume pig's ears do it too. Mm-hmm. Right. Maybe even some humans. Yeah, maybe. Especially if they've been domesticated. You know, that was almost funny. They better be <laughs> careful. They'll spoil a perfect record. <laughs> so we've got this Madeline Kahn and Dog Lion sketch. They are playing out a variation on a classic Muppet sketch, wherein a very cheerful gal meets a monster who does everything in his rather substantial powers to ruin her day. When she says she loves sunny days, he summons a storm. When Madeline Kahn says she enjoys the birds singing, Dog Lion takes a gun and shoots a bird down. Eventually, Madeline Kahn informs Dog Lion that he's so awful that it's truly beautiful. And as she continues to compliment him, Dog Lion shrinks down until he's transformed into this tiny Furby-type thing, which she takes out her big umbrella and putt-putts him away. I think that this sketch suffers from being part of this episode mm-hmm. in that mm-hmm. so much of what made this episode fun with these very quick sketches. Mm-hmm. And then yes. that just makes this one feel draggy. Right. And I don't know that seeing this in a different context, it would have felt that way. Because it's Madeline Kahn being delightful, as mm-hmm. always. It's wonderful to watch her. And Dog Lion is such a cool puppet to see in action. But it does seem long for some reason. Goes on a bit. That's the death knell of a thing, though. (laughs) A friend of mine worked on a Broadway show that was a cult hit, but uh, closed early. And he told me that he knew that they were going to close early because during previews, he would hear people shuffling out saying, it's good. It's long. Mm. (laughs) Doesn't seem like it should have been the last big sketch with her. Yeah, its placement is also yeah weird. All of these sketches are bringing up certain things out of all of us that they all do seem to revolve around a little bit of, oh, that's awful. Oh, but it's actually really cute. It's that, that two things at once thing. Again, it kind of happens in every one of these sketches in some way. And I don't think they were writing with that intention, but it is interesting to me that like, that comes up in what a lot of, it seems, we're all saying about a lot of these sketches. Mm-hmm. This sketch has a bit of a Sesame Street feel to me. Yeah. Well, that may be because it was originally written for two Muppets to do together. Mm. And so to swap in a guest star makes it feel, I, I don't know. Well, I just that, that ending have, of... That ending of like, sometimes you have to deal with your problems. I just felt like a little lesson-y. <laughs> and sort of combined with Wishing Song, which I love, but it 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 also has a little bit of like a moral to it, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I believe we'll be able to find at least one of the previous Muppet-only versions of this that we can put in the show notes for people to watch and compare. Yeah. I do want to say this puppet is beautiful. Um, we talked about Lunch Counter in the Nancy Walker episode and like how that that puppet is really beautiful, but sort of awkward. Like it, it has a hard time with the props and and this one is really beautiful and not awkward. Um, I don't know like how many takes they got or if it just all worked, but um, you know, all of the physical bits and all of the, the, the prop work, it, it, I mean, it's mostly just smashing things. It's not that hard, I guess, but like it, it, it I all mean, uproots trees. Yeah. Like it, it does right. The, the, 
whoever's in there has to has to jump around, has to pick stuff up. It's it it doesn't actually look easy. It doesn't. It's not a graceful costume, but it's really <laughs> gorgeous in its yeah. detail it and its color, and and it's also able to do all these physical bits. And I was really impressed with it. We'll see more of him in many episodes to come, and he is the very first Muppet to appear on the big screen in the first shot of the Muppet movie. Full credit for getting in that trivia tidbit in this episode. Good job. (laughs) Go look at that again. (laughs) All right, Muppet News Flash, take us home. Here's a Muppet News Flash. Reports are coming in from all over the world that television news reporters are blowing up. These unlikely rumors have... There you have it. That bit they just did reminds me of broccoli. Why? I hate broccoli. (laughs) All right. Before we move on entirely from the show, does anyone have final thoughts about this episode that we haven't had a chance to share? I think there was a new audience shot. I think it was after Happy Feet, but I yes, yes, there was. We were so busy talking about feet, I didn't get there. And I did notice that one of the dead Muppets in the back had her eyes closed, so at least, (gasps) at least she was sleeping, and we don't have to be too creeped out by it. And also, I think that one of them is Ma Otter from Emma Otter's Chuck Band Christmas which was made during the break between seasons one and two. So it's totally possible, but also a little weird. I could also be wrong, but anyway, that's my, that's my final thought. Also unrelated at one point in the episode, uh, Statler and Waldorf ask each other what time it is. And it's a quarter after 12. So do we think that this is a a matinee or a midnight showing? Really could be either. I don't Hmm. think Statler and Waldorf are going to midnight shows. I don't think they ever leave. I think it's an ex- existential horror and they're just there. Yeah. Do you think their watches are stopped at a quarter after 12? Awesome. Ooh. All right. Before we say goodbye, James, I wonder if you'd like to tell us a little bit about what you're doing in the world and where people might find you. I am getting ready to go to Washington, D.C. to go. Uh, we're doing a strange loop again. Uh, it's sort of like the pre-Broadway whatnot. I guess people still do that. Uh, we're doing it at the Woolly Mammoth Theater in Washington, D.C. Uh, performances start like the week of Thanksgiving. So maybe November 20-something. Well, by the time yeah. people hear this, you will be in performance because this yes. is dropping in December. Yes. And then sh- might extend, you know, but definitely going into the into January. So uh, that's where I'll be next. It's so good, y'all. Go see it. I was just going to say, Those you don't need our recommendation because like, the Pulitzer Prize also agreed I with mean, us. I mean, sure, but, but you know. <laughs> it is real good. <laughs> so this is going to be a, a fun couple months in D.C. Yay. All right, so D.C. area listeners, please uh, head on over to Woolly Mammoth and check it out. Yes. We got our money's worth tonight, but we paid nothing. That's what we got. Thanks for listening to this episode of Muppeturgy. We'll be back next week with Anthony Strand while George Burns. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Muppeturgy or on the web at Muppeturgy.com. If you like what we're doing, please spread the word. Our theme music was composed and performed by Christy Bauer. Our show logo was created by Todd Brian Backus. And this episode was edited by me, David Levy. And also, happy birthday, Michal! Oh, thank you! Happy birthday! Yay! And to be clear... It's her birthday when we're recording, not when you're listening. But you can wish her happy birthday whenever you want. Yeah, I'll take it anytime. Um, can we talk about Kermit's feet for a second? <laughs>